I'm Elizabeth Monson. I'm Elizabeth Meyer. And we are here with our podcast, Talking to Myself. And this week we are talking all about negotiation. And it'll be a little bit different. Format's a little different for this one because we want to talk a little bit more about our own personal experiences and why we chose what we read Which is... But yeah, tell us what we read, Meyer. Getting to Yes, Negotiating Agreement Without Giving In by Roger Fisher and William L. Ori. So why did you want to read about negotiation? So I don't actually know if I've told you the full story about why I wanted to read about negotiation. Well, this is fun. But we have alluded... honest with me. Finally, after all (laughs) these episodes... So when we started this podcast project, it was for lots of personal reasons Mm -hmm. and also just because we thought it was going to be really fun. An excuse to hang out with you. Exactly. On the regular. Totally. But one of the things that both of us have actually discussed on and off for several years is the value in an MBA program. Yes. And... It's still something that I haven't made a decision about, actually, because I love learning and I love the idea of being in that environment. I just always go back and forth with big, the sort of analysis, paralysis by analysis around MBA programs. Yeah. It's a big pros commitment. Pros and cons. Yeah. Time commitment. It's very. Money commitment. Very expensive. and Location commitment. Right. Exactly. So that whole list. But I was having the MBA conversation with a friend who went to a very reputable part-time MBA program 10 years ago. And he said, you know, he didn't regret it. He really liked it. His company paid for it. So that takes care of some of the financial burden. He said it was, you know, obviously a really crazy few years working alongside getting a degree from a prestigious program but that he, of course, really values all of the networks, he, all, of the, all the things you really hear about yeah. why it's worth it to do these programs. And I said, was there anything that really stood out to you in this program in terms of maybe a subject matter that you learned about that you didn't really know about? And he said, absolutely. You know, I didn't really refine my technical skills, mm-hmm. but I definitely embarked upon some really interesting subject matters that I wouldn't have even considered how integral they are to everyday business operations. And he said the best course he ever took was in negotiations. So then he started saying that he gets into his classroom and the negotiations class had a guest lecturer. Mm -hmm. And the guest lecturer that day had been a former CIA interrogator. Is Is that what they're called? Yeah. Crazy. That is so cool. Really, really crazy cool. So it was like Homeland. So yeah, instantly he felt like he was in a spy movie. I'm sure. You and know I'm obsessed with that. I know. I know. <laughs> Have I told you this full story? You told me. Part I told of you it. a part of yeah, it. Yeah. So anyhow, he starts talking about this, and of course, you know, he, he hooked me with CIA interrogator. Yeah, he was basically like, if you get a part-time MBA, you're essentially a spy. I mean, I feel like he's setting yeah. me up to be disappointed because if I got into a negotiations class, I wasn't taught by some kind of a really cool spy. That's what they do, though. Business like schools bring in the big guns. Yeah, they do. So anyway, he started talking about this negotiations class. And, you know, in the context of a CIA interrogator, uh, he's often dealing with life and death situations. So it's really important to have a grasp on these tactics. Mm-hmm. 
And Did he tell you any of the tactics from the CIA guy? I don't remember if he did, but he really sparked my interest on the theme. Yeah. So he actually told me about William Ory, who has a different book. And we almost read that. Mm-hmm. And then I started reading a lot about the most classic negotiation books. So we should preface this episode by saying that this book, I think it's still really heralded as the classic, classic. text on okay, negotiation, but it was written in 1981. So lots of the examples used were uh, based off of events that took place even before we were born, pre-millennials. Like, not even before, like, millennials were born, but just, like, before you had to write interesting books to sell them. Uh-oh, zing. I know. I know, but so, I like, felt that so way, too. That it was very, yeah, very dry. Yeah. So anyway, that's the background on why I wanted to read a, quote-unquote, negotiation-themed book. This seemed to be the text that every business school yeah. having their pupils read. We're practically having an MBA through this podcast. That's kind of how I honest. feel, right? Yeah. Without all the great connections and stamps on our resume. <laughs> no new friends. <laughs> exactly. And vacations abroad. Oh, yeah. I know. I always look at the post-MBA programs as the sole reason yeah. to, to take the GMAT. Oh, Totally. Um, anyway, so should we dive into kind of what the key parts of his book are? I mean, so my take on it, obviously, like I've already expressed that I'm a little bit down on it because it was really boring because the examples were basically about deep sea mining and I don't know. Sharing, sharing basically it. broaden your subject matters that you were never interested in learning about in the first place. Well, I, yeah, or I just had different questions about deep sea mining then that he was never going to get into. So I, he piqued my interest and didn't deliver. I don't know. Or it's just like these con, like international contracts that have no bearing on how I might like negotiate for a raise or for something else. It's true. There were some things that were like he made the examples too hard. Right. They weren't directly applicable yeah. to your everyday scenario. I'm not a diplomat. Although I think what was interesting about it is what he was clearly attempting to do was provide a formula for people to be able to have difficult conversations. So he categorizes them as negotiations, but they are ultimately supposed to be proven strategic tactics. Yeah, they can apply to anything. Right. And I guess he was probably trying to pick examples that like have a lot of historic documentation about how the negotiation took place. At one point, they were really useful to some people. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure they've come up many times for the international mining community. Um, but <laughs> So my other takeaway on the negotiation front was that this book really felt like a guide to having difficult conversations, regardless of whether they were negotiations in like the truest sense of the word. And it seemed like a pretty good guide for having hard conversations with anybody, but that made it almost seem like less, I don't know, less specific to negotiating to me. Um, So his principles for negotiation are separate the people from the problem, focus on interest, not positions, invent options for mutual gain, and insist on using objective criteria, which all make total sense and are great paths to solutions. I don't know. I just kind of felt like it was it was a little bit broad for me. 
I'm not articulating this well, but. I know what you mean. I think maybe if I can put a positive spin on it, something that I really liked is that he separates this negotiation tactic, which is referred to as, find it, principled negotiation. Do you want to start that sentence again? Yes. So the authors categorize this negotiation tactic as principled negotiation. And since it's given that name, I think you expect for them to break down this methodology that doesn't feel so obvious. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I actually liked about how simple and broad they seemed is that they overlapped with a lot of motifs in many of the other books we've been reading lately. So there's something encouraging about that to me. Yeah, 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 totally. I mean, I think that if you followed all of these things well, you would end up with a great negotiation. And I guess the fact that it's not like a silver bullet for how to negotiate makes total sense. Like you have to work through something with someone. You have to understand their motivations. You have to talk to them. You have to have really strong communication. Like all the same things that apply to managing someone or to finding your own path in life. Like it's never, it's not an easy answer. Um, And I think that first step especially is just a really good rule of thumb. Separate the people from the problem. Exactly. Try try whatever tactics are available to you in that moment to make sure that the conversation doesn't get emotional. Mm -hmm. That's a tough one. I feel like I'm pretty good at that. I think you're good at that too. I think most people need work on that though. Right. Yeah. Having an emotional reaction to something. Yeah. And I'm I'm specifically talking about through a professional lens, but it happens oh, yeah, personally yeah, yeah. too. Yeah. I think oftentimes when we're talking about difficult conversations in a professional environment, people are so proud of the work that they produce. Oh, totally. And I think when somebody sort of gets to the heart of their differences, it can feel like an attack on that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this whole conversation is going to be framed around professional negotiations. Negotiating in your personal life, it's like, just don't mention something until the last minute and then slip it in before they can say no. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I know your tactics. (laughs) Um, No, I'm totally teasing. But yeah, we're really talking about negotiation in a professional setting. And I think, I mean, it comes up in a, in a variety of ways, right? So, like, compensation is obviously a huge hot topic for negotiation. But I guess there's other, there's other situations when you're negotiating with a vendor over, like, a contract or internally trying to sell in an idea or give feedback even. All can be kind of cases of negotiation. Yeah, and so I think... One of the, I I believe that this chapter fell within the first step of separating Mm -hmm. the people from the issue. I I know it was early on in the book, but the authors talk about the importance of listening. And for me, I thought that that was, that was really something valuable about the beginning of a negotiation. It's something that really applies to just every single scenario. When you come to a negotiation, you often know that you're there to negotiate. So you have a really clear idea of what your motivations are and what you're trying to gain and Mm -hmm. what your ideal outcome is. And 
I think having that positioning can cloud your ability to truly be able to listen and digest to the other side. So walking in the shoes of the other person is something that's really important to be able to even advance on to the next steps. And it's it's funny because a a lot of the the themes feel like little sayings that you heard your whole life. Like try to stand in their shoes and see see from their side of the story. And I, I saw a lot of that. And it's interesting because I feel like the whole point of this book wasn't that, like, if you try to see it from there or stand in their shoes, like, then you're more likely to give in to their needs. It has nothing to do with that. It's, like, if you truly listen to what the other side is trying to accomplish, then you are more likely to be able to come up with a satisfying third option that will appease both parties' needs. And in some cases, the third option is the preferred option anyway. Yeah. That you just didn't realize it was on the table because you weren't both communicating both sides of the story. So do you want to the, give the example of the orange, sharing the orange? Yeah. So there's this classic example that they use where, you know, if you are adopting more a, of a traditional approach to negotiation where sort of the outcome is, well, this is fair for both sides. Mm-hmm. You have an orange and you have two parties and they both want the orange. And in all fairness, the option could be to slice the orange in half. But if you actually start to talk and you start to listen and you start to realize what people, what either party wanted the orange for, you realize that one party wanted the peel for baking and the other party wanted the actual fruit to eat. And if they had been really clear about their objectives, they both could have gotten gotten exactly what they wanted. So that's what that third scenario refers to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that is certainly very valuable. Um, And they do kind of address situations where that third option isn't as like pleasing of a puzzle as little orange parable because I mean in a lot of cases it's like I want to pay you x for this and you want me to pay you y like how do we meet in the middle do you just split the difference or I mean I feel like there's less cut and dry examples and how do you approach those right so should we creative should we talk about some ways maybe that we've created third scenarios before can you think of a time where I mean I guess my best example of this that I've been given in terms of like advice from people around me is from my mom. And whenever I've approached new jobs, she's always reminded me that oftentimes salaries are standard or they have a specific zone that they can afford, but there's so many other areas where you can negotiate. And so even if salary is going to be what it is, you can always ask for extra vacation days or you can ask for sign-on bonuses or you can ask for whatever, I don't know what another example is, or like a certain number of work from home days or what have you. And so like there's always other levers that you can pull that are helpful for negotiating that don't necessarily have to do with like the question that seems like it's at hand. Yeah, I think that's a pretty clear example of an option that benefits you that comes at no cost to yeah, the exactly. second it party. Come at any cost, but it makes you feel valued and it there's a value to you. But on the flip side, I was talking to my friend at a wedding I was at recently, and the my friend is she's like a total boss lady. 
And she was saying the best piece of negotiation advice she's ever received was from the bride, my friend Allison. And Allison basically is always willing to walk away. And she's like, if you're always willing to walk away from a situation, then you have a lot of the power and you'll kind of like never feel like you're sacrificing your values and whatnot for it. That's tricky. I feel like it's kind of binary. We may get a little off topic by me asking this next question, but is Allison a freelancer? Yeah, she works for herself. I think when you work for yourself, you have a little bit more of the ability to just walk away like that because you yes. recognize that the next thing is going to come along. It's how you make your living. Yeah. It's a lot harder to do that when you're in, you know, a, corporate in a corporate environment. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Because I, I actually, I never was really the kind of person to just walk away. I kind of always wanted to make everything work. And I've realized very lately that, sorry, very recently <laughs> that, I'm going to start that over. I realized very recently that it's almost best to walk away and mean that you don't, and really mean that you don't mind if a project doesn't come to fruition because if you try too hard to make something work from a freelance perspective, it often wasn't meant to be in the first place. So I've actually embarked on a couple projects I wish that I had just left. They were really difficult during the negotiation phase and... There was a reason for it. It it wasn't a good fit. Yeah. So what is some good advice that you've been given around negotiation? So I had this conversation. So I was reading this book when I was in Copenhagen. Mm -hmm. And very strangely, I met a group of women there. It It was actually a really nice encounter, but my husband was there doing work and uh, they were visiting his office, and we all got to talking. And one of the women was visiting Copenhagen as well from Ireland, and she owns her own consulting business. So obviously, we started talking about sort of our parallel paths, and I found it really interesting. I work a lot in content, and mm-hmm. she has a business with her sister on storytelling for brands, and she works with some really major entities. She had just talked about a training that she'd set up for Microsoft, so uh, really has been thriving in that business for years as a result of what she called her sales background. Yeah. And I, I lack that sales background. I've never, never been in sales. Oh, same. And not so, even like in retail. In no, high school. no sales whatsoever. I was a babysitter in yeah. high school. That sells itself. <laughs> right. So I started talking to her about this book and she said, oh, negotiating has never been an issue for me. I have a sales background. Mm -hmm. So I really know what things to look for. And we started talking about these, inventing these scenarios that were mutually beneficial or that came at no cost to one party, but great benefit to another. And she said, when talking about compensation, going back and forth about the merit of her work, she really knows the lowest rate that she's ever willing to accept for her yeah. actual work. What she does is really not scalable. She's not using a program. She's coming in and coming up with bespoke solutions for brands to tell their narrative. And it requires a lot of attention to detail. It requires a ton of creativity and a lot of back and forth. So she knows what she's worth there and she's not really willing to waver. But she builds in other fees to, to her projections around 
things that will really just take her a lot of time to execute mm-hmm. because, you know, her hours are her hours. Right. She runs a business. She has other clients. And so if if a client wishes to negotiate around fees, she'll say things like, okay, I'll knock off the fee X amount, and every single time we have a meeting, your team will be responsible for recapping our notes. Mm-hmm. And it's so simple because anybody can recap notes. You can send an intern into your meeting to recap notes. Right. But when you're running your own business, recapping time. client notes is a lot of your time Incredible. that you could be spend, yeah. spending elsewhere. So I thought that that was really interesting, just coming up with really small, very simple ways that save the consultant quite a lot of time that they could dedicate to other clients Yeah, and still make the offer seem enticing to a company that may not have those big budgets to spend. Yeah. I think also like if you're going to be, if you're starting out and hoping for a successful negotiation, you definitely have to know what you want out of it in the beginning because then there's, without that, you won't know what you're willing to give up. And the book does address how to come up with options if no agreement is going to be possible. I mean, it's like the, it's called like the best alternative to know something or other, but that's super important um, because in a negotiation, either you come to an agreement or you don't, but not coming to agreement is almost a kind of agreement as well. And there still has to be a way to move forward and figure out next steps out of it. So yeah, like what's, what are the best options? Like what's the plan B with no agreement, which I think is, it's a tough, you almost have to do all of the work up front anyway, if you're going to be approaching it that way. Yeah. That's the hardest scenario to be in. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Should we talk about some failed negotiations? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I feel like the worst is when you realize that you could have asked for a lot more or that you, I don't know, you come out of something thinking that it's a really good deal for you and then you realize that they feel the same way and I guess it's good all around, but you kind of feel like you left something on the table. Do you have any of those examples? Well, there are some in this book, one that actually really stood out to me and I was kind of like, oh, well, this is why it's important to invent those scenarios during the process of negotiation because mm-hmm. part of negotiating is just coming to an agreement. You yeah. know, people expect that you're going to leave those talks and have a conclusion. What we don't talk about is the repercussions of the decisions that are made in order to try to get an agreement. Oh, right. And so there was an example about how about how in professional sports – uh, an aging athlete still believes in his or herself and athletic oh, capabilities. Right. Yes, yes, yes. So when they're negotiating contracts, how to structure it so that they get the most out of like the next few years? Well, so I don't even think that they're thinking about that because in their oh, minds, they think, they, they think they're still on top of the game. So yeah. what they say is when management is negotiating the contracts, they say, here's your pretty low annual fee. And if you make it to the playoffs or if you make it X right, amount of games right, right, right. or whatever, then here's this giant bonus. Yeah, their ego. Exactly. So you kind of also have to think about what headspace both parties are in. Yeah. Yeah, completely. It's like it's all psychology. And yeah, it's completely it's all psychology. We should have Becca read this book and have her explain I know, it to we, us. We need to have our resident psychologist on I every know. episode. Yeah. I did like that one. Um. 
But that's not necessarily about a failed negotiation. But I think what we're not considering at all is what happens after the negotiation period, which is sort of how you had right, set like it when up. when he doesn't make the playoffs, how does he feel like that negotiation Exactly. Went? He's going to feel like his agent effed him. Totally. And and like how you said, sometimes you leave and you feel like you got a really good offer and then you're, you know, knee-deep in a project and you're like, oh, my gosh, I totally underestimated how much work this would be. I mean, yeah, that's after the negotiation. Your negotiation went well. If you come out of a negotiation with an agreement that you feel happy with, yeah, your negotiation went well. So what you have to think about is how to have a successful negotiation that's actually also going to benefit you in the long term. Yeah, And tough. one of the ways to create slash invent situations for mutual gain is to figure out if the other party is more interested in something short-term or long-term. Right. So that's a pretty pretty standard way to figure out what you put on the table in the moment. Are they thinking about something that is, you know, a straight-off payoff, but they're not thinking about how it's going to affect them in the years to come? Right. You Yeah, you have to figure it out. But the other thing is, like, when you're dealing with people or companies or what have you, I feel like you can't just sit at a table and be like, what do you want out of this? People aren't that good at articulating their wants and needs. Yeah, that's really challenging too. So like, you have to ask the right questions to figure out what they want out of it without like, just asking. I mean, you could just ask, but I feel like people don't know what they want. Well, also negotiators are often sent on behalf of a company or an entity that say, when you leave this meeting, I want at least this, or I want nothing less than this, or this is the ideal outcome I'm aiming to achieve. So they don't often equip a negotiator with the amount of information they might need to actually be transparent, even if they wanted to be transparent. Oh, totally. Actually, I'm thinking now of my favorite recent negotiation, which was with this partner I was working with, and I really hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. I think the chances are pretty slim. If he does, we've really made it. Oh, yeah. So maybe we hope he does. And literally, like, he just wasn't even trying. He just had his interests. Wait, make it about... He had his position, and he wasn't focusing on his interests. Look how much I've learned. And, like, towards the end of it, I was like, listen, like, you're literally not even trying to make this work. Like, you're not coming to the table with anything. I've been, like, we've tried all these different ways to, like, structure these contracts, structure this payment, like... I've explained to you exactly what we want and you aren't like budging at all. And you're just coming at me with like, like hours of excuses and like just talking in circles. And if it's not going to work out, it's not going to work out. We're just going to find another partner. It's not that big of a deal. And that's when he was like, okay, fine. I'm going to figure out a way to make this work. Um, And then we broke off our relationship from him. So you were like, we did come to an agreement. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was such a bad negotiation that I was like, we can't be in business with this person. Yeah. So that's actually a big theme of this book as well, how much, how important it is to you to preserve that relationship. So that actually becomes one of the things that you throw into the pool when you're negotiating. How detrimental is it to me if I sever this relationship right now? Yeah, not at all. Well, in that case, not at all. If you're betting partners, there's another partner for you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, it's yeah, it's tough because negotiation, as much as you can say, make it not personal and take the person outside of the issue, it's not the case. And even if you are coming into it with that mindset, 
you can't control how other people feel. So I could be completely separating the people from the problem. But if you are not, then it's going to be more of an emotional problem for you. Um, And at the end of the negotiation, we might come out of it. Not friends. So should all negotiators read this book or would that ruin everything? No. Well, no, no. You know the answer to that. I know. Do you? (laughs) I hope so. No, everyone should read this book because at the end, he like summarizes it by saying that the whole point of this is the whole, uh, you do it. I can't articulate it. Basically he's saying like the whole point of this is to come up with like better exercises for negotiation. So having a, a, thoughtful negotiation is a good negotiation regardless of the outcome which like like no but you know but but that is one of the reasons that I actually did like the way that he approached this book because sometimes you read a business book or a management style book I feel like to try to get the upper hand Mm -hmm. and that's not what this is about it's actually about just about really open communication and really making sure that both sides are genuinely happy as opposed to equipping you with all the information you need to go in and win. Yeah. Can I read this cheese ball sentence? Yeah. Read okay. it. From time to time, you may want to remind yourself that the first thing you are trying to win is a better way to negotiate, a way that avoids your having to choose between the satisfactions of getting what you deserve and of being decent. You can have both. I like that. It's cheesy, but you can I'm be a really nice person today. and still get ahead. He's not wrong, but it's just like so cheesy. I mean, he focuses a lot on like he wrote it's this not in about- the '80s. What do you expect? Everything in the '80s is cheesy. <laughs> this is true. He's like writing it with like a Jerry curl. <laughs> He's wearing an acid wash denim jacket on his typewriter or something. Maybe it's an old computer. Not sure. Maybe he hand wrote it. Maybe he can be our next guest. We'll yeah, ask him. I'm being so rude. <laughs> we can tell when you don't like a book. Yeah, it's pretty obvious. No, I mean, he's not wrong. And I, it's it's right. It's like negotiation. It's not about winning. And then he made a, he flipped it on its head and made it about winning for everybody. Um, but the idea is like, yeah, this book is not going to give you the secret to like come in and like be a negotiation shark. It's that everyone should be a principled negotiator and it would be valuable for both sides if everyone had read it, which helps you sell more books. Totally. Yeah. I want to be a negotiation shark. All right. Maybe that's my problem. Can somebody call in and make us a recommendation for (laughs) the book that will make us negotiation sharks? I want the book that's like how to negotiate like a complete asshole. How to win win. at life. (laughs) Not win-win, win win, (laughs) one-sided. The old school winners only and the has losers. One eye. Okay. <laughs> oh my god. Literally, I'm so competitive. I'm getting like hot in my seat. <laughs> so funny. Okay, so this book. You loved it. No, I honestly. So my know. true my true reaction to it, I think I kind of summarized this in the beginning too, is. There's nothing in it that's not obvious. Yeah. I think it's all good reminders. But, like, what will you take and use from this book this week? This week. Are you negotiating anything this week? You should negotiate an upgrade on your flight to 
Switzerland. See, this is how I know this book didn't work because just the idea of having to do something that's not directly within the rules is making me nervous. I'm a rule follower, so negotiating oh, is too. hard for me. Especially when you're talking about like calling an airline and getting some special perks. I'm like, no, I deserve the same perks that everybody else deserves. <laughs> if I don't but, get upgraded, it's because I didn't fly enough to have miles. Oh, totally. Right. But I think, so I've been doing a lot of contractual negotiations too, which yeah. are not exciting by any means, but. But this is not like, and I just realized why I didn't like this is because I'm literally so competitive that I want to win. And I like contract negotiation because I feel like you win and then it's documented and everyone signs it. That's true. And I often... makes me sound like a psychopath. Well, no. I mean, well, so one of the things that I think is helpful with a contract negotiation that differs from, say, the example of calling up an airline and trying to get an upgrade on your seat is that... It's not personal. It's not personal. Yeah. You're honestly just executing someone else's marching orders. So when you're talking about contracts and you're working on half on behalf of an official entity, it often has to do with budget. We yeah. can only spend this amount. So totally. how can we make this work? These are your services. This is what we need. How can we make this work? It's a lot easier to sort of tackle that with a second party when there really isn't anything personal at stake. I mean, I guess to like get way more specific into what we actually do for our jobs... I've been doing a lot of influencer work lately and like payment of influencers is such a hot topic, blah, 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 blah. But I think that um, this is actually a good book for that because the biggest negotiating tool you have with like an influencer when you're working at a brand is access, is information, and that's hardly ever used in a negotiation. They have these flat fees and it's like paper impressions or for your followers or whatever, but like giving access to your brand or to like behind the scenes or to organizations that you have connections to, it's like such a valuable tool and it's hardly ever brought up in negotiations with content creators and that kind of thing. Um, so that's, that's it an example that I'm dealing with right now. Yeah. But I think we forget how much value we're holding that doesn't have to do with money. Right. There's so and many other valuable things. But what life. you also did is just identified common interest, a common yeah. space for gain. Because so w- the contracts that I've been working on are with content creators, but not influencers, more yeah. in the vein of photography yeah. and content production. And, you know, in a recent scenario. They don't care about access. Well, they, they don't care about access access in that sense but I have a relationship with a photographer that I worked with recently that I brought on to a a new project for a different client and I knew that his budgets were significantly higher than what they could afford Mm -hmm. but they were really gravitating towards the quality of his work and once you assemble a really nice crew you kind of want to continue to work with them because it's easy and it's fun and it just makes your day-to-day so much more pleasant totally and so one of the things that we worked in to his contract is the brand has really great reach, and mm-hmm. so they need to tag him in all of his photographs. And he actually gets discovered by brands pretty frequently because he, he has a great Instagram page. Yeah, so, I mean, access in that sense yeah, totally. is totally beneficial because it's going to open up the doors for new opportunities to get hired. Look, we thought we didn't have any examples. Here we go. Yeah. But it all started with a contract. Yeah. Newsville. Yeah. Yeah, so it's boring, but... Totally. There's so many other things on the table that you can use to negotiate. Yep. Yeah. All right. 
anything else that you think that you'll use from this recent in in the coming? Well, I always like the idea of listening to people, so I'm going to continue to listen to people. I think I'm usually a pretty good listener. Yeah, yeah, good. <laughs> and how about you? I am going to. I don't know. I'll use all of it. I think, but separating the people from the problem is a good one. You know what? I love, I do like trying to figure out a third solution to a problem. That's my game. I like it. I'm a problem solver and it, I think it's fun to do because everyone ends up with a better agreement. So are we taking a pause on negotiation books for a while? I think if we've read the seminal text, we're good to go. I think we know everything we need to know. Come negotiate with me. Watch us reference this for our entire lives. Yeah, this is, by the way, the only book we were mean about so I far. Know. So, um, But we still really respect the authors and encourage you to buy it if you're curious about negotiation. And even though we're mean, please rate us five stars on iTunes. 